Thank you for listening to the sermons here at Ascension Lutheran Church. Our worship services happen on Sunday mornings. 8.30 is our traditional worship service, and 10.30 is our contemporary worship service. We'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. You can visit us also on our website at www.alcrpv.org. We hope you enjoy the sermon. So, Book of Revelation. We are continuing to teach through the Book of Revelation, and as you um, just heard, boy, there's some, there's some stuff there, right? There's some hard things to hear. I want you to just remember, though, one thing we talked about last week, that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, if you brought your own Bible, this is one to highlight and underline and just burn into your brain. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Therefore, this work that we're doing, this work of us reading to the book of Revelation and listening to the book of Revelation, will lead to blessing. Why? Because God says so. That's why. It's hard work, though. It's hard work to, to get through this. And, and last week, we saw that this is the revelation of God, revelation of Jesus Christ, to John, for the people of God. And then we saw Jesus. And Jesus came down, and Jesus was in his full authority. It was the risen Savior. He had the robe of a priest and the sash of a king, and he had burnished bronze feet, and he was powerful. He had a sword coming out from his mouth and burning eyes. And the thing that we need to hear in all of that is that this is the God who has authority. This is the God who has power. See, it's easy for us to turn Jesus into our buddy, right? Like, hey, what's up, friend? And, and side by side. Jesus is with you and he's for you, but he is the God who hung the moon, who held back the waters. He is more powerful than any bomb us humans will ever create. Than any ocean. Than anything. He is that level of authority and that level of power. And that is the one who is in your corner. Right? He's not against you. He's not trying to harm you. But he's for you. And so now we transition into these, um, these letters to the churches... And these letters to the churches are there for the church. They're not there because God or Jesus wants to see them destroyed. They're there because he wants to redeem them. And so, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John for the people of God and to bring us hope. So then it's our responsibility to work through and to struggle through this. Before we jump into the particulars of two. Um, I want you to just open and see this little blue sheet because I want you to be reminded about this. Take these home. Um, someone asked me if I could put these up online, and I will. Um, I'll start putting these up as PDFs on the Internet so that for those who aren't here, these are in your bulletin. Um, if you don't have a bulletin, we can get one to you because there's some people looking around. Um, yeah, we can pass one around. But um, these are in your bulletins. The place we need to start is the acknowledgement of the fact that we are people who are obsessed with our senses, right? 
You can see, taste, touch, hear, and smell. And we become so caught up in our senses that we forget that as Christians and as people of God, there is a whole spiritual realm out there that is existing all the time. There is a world outside of your senses that is impacting the world of your senses. Those two, this is a favorite phrase of mine because I think that makes me sound really smart. Those two are inextricably woven together. See, you're like, wow, that is a smart guy. Those two are they're woven together. The world of the spirit and the world of material are woven together and they impact each other. A great story in the book of Kings. There's Elijah the prophet. And you're probably familiar with him. And Elijah has a servant. And he's running away from a king because he's done some things that's made the king mad. They go to sleep in this little village. The guy wakes up, the servant wakes up, and he looks out at the hills, and surrounding the town are the king's chariots. Okay? So they are completely surrounded. And in this like just moment of honesty, the servant goes, Oh my God. What are we going to do? And it goes to Elijah. Elijah, wake up. We have a problem. What's the problem? We're surrounded by the king. Oh, really? Don't worry. What do you mean, don't worry? And Elijah says, those who are for us are more than those who are against us. And the servant must have gone, not true. It's me and you, a bunch of chariot dudes against us, right? And God allows the servant's eyes to be opened. And when the servant's eyes are opened, he is allowed to see the heavenly hosts of armies that are there to do battle for him. And he sees this and goes, wow. You see, there is a world that is active in this world and there's a spiritual world that we need to be aware of. And the less we are aware of it, the more it can mess with us. C.S. Lewis says in his True Tape Letters, it's a book that we're reading for our Tuesday morning Bible study for our faith round table. It says, there are two equal and opposite errors that people make in regards to demons. One is to not believe in them at all. The other is to have an unhealthy interest in them. They are equally pleased either way. Because if we don't believe that there's any spiritual warfare going on, we are so able to be tricked. You see, because... Paul goes so far as to say in Ephesians, which is on your little sheet here, spiritual forces, I gave you both Old Testament and New Testament verses, just in case you were like, aha, it's only the Old Testament. No. Aha, it's only the New Testament. Aha, I've got you. Both. In Ephesians 6, this is what it says. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of this present darkness. Question for you. When is the last time you prayed against the spiritual forces of evil that are attacking you? When is the last time you prayed for the spiritual forces of evil that are trying to destroy your marriage? That are trying to destroy your relationship with your children? That are trying to destroy your work relationship? Paul says... It's not about the flesh and blood. It's not about that person. It's easy to think it's about that person 
because you can see them and you can see the fact they left the toothpaste off of the tooth or the cap off the toothpaste. And you think it's about you. You're the problem. He goes, no, there's so much more. There's so much more going on there. We need to be people who pray against that. And as I put in here, it is critical to our understanding of Revelation to acknowledge the reality of both the material world and the spiritual world. That in every interaction you have, there is more going on. And Revelation is trying to give you a view of that more that's going on there. And we need to acknowledge that. And so, we get into these letters. And these letters are so, so cool. Especially, and let's just start at the beginning. Good place to start. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? And this is Revelation 2, 1. The angel of the church in Ephesus. Now, there are two streams of thought when we talk about these um, angels. There are, each letter to the churches is addressed to the angel of the church in. There are people who say the angel is the leader of the church. So the pastor or the the council president or the leader of the church, that's who the angel of the church is. If you fall into that camp, please, from now on, refer to me as Angel Scott. Okay? No. Um, That's not what I think is going on here. If you look on your little blue sheet again, I gave you two different Greek words. The first one is angelos. Alpha, gamma, gamma, epsilon, lambda, omicron, sigma. That word there is angelos, which is the Greek word for angel. An angel is a spiritual messenger, is a separate created being. And this is something that may irritate you, and I'm sorry on the front end. When you die, you are not going to become an angel. Sorry about that. I know we want to become angels because we've seen it's a wonderful life and all of those things, and we think I want my wings, and I really like to play the harp, but we're not. Angels are a separate created being. They are a whole separate thing. Humans are a separate created being as well. God made animals, God made angels, and then God made humans, and we are the beautiful place where the material world and the spiritual world come together. Angels are only spiritual. They're purely spiritual beings. We as humans have the opportunity to both worship and sing beautiful songs unto God, to pray to God, and eat a steak dinner. We have that opportunity. That's a beautiful human opportunity. Angels can't do that. And lions don't get to worship, right? But we get both. That's cool. So, the angels then, if it's not going to be an elder or a church leader or a pastor, who is it? Well, everywhere else we see in the book of Revelation, the word angel refers to a heavenly being. In fact, in Revelation 1, when you go back there, you'll see that um, it says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God made him to show his servants, which must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to the servant John. God sent an angel to the servant John to speak this message. They're messengers. So, if it's not going to be an elder, who is it? What if God has given every congregation an angel. 
to battle for us in the spiritual realm. You see, what's going on right now, what we're doing here together is bad business for the devil because we're worshiping, we're giving away our money to the church, we're listening to teaching, we're growing in faith. All of this is bad business, which means there is spiritual warfare going on around us probably better than any Hollywood movie. And so what if God has given an angel to Ascension Lutheran Church? Would God do it? I think he does. I think it's right here in scripture. And I think God gives these angels because he's very aware of the spiritual realm. I think that's super cool. That God has planted in our congregation above, around, I don't know where, somebody just to protect and to watch and to be with us and to transmit messages back and to go and return and talk about our church. That's how much God cares about the churches. Every church has an angel. How cool. How cool. How cool that we get that opportunity. So he wrote these letters to the churches. And if you open up on the inside, you'll see that I've given you a nice little um, cheat sheet because the, the letters take a similar flow throughout the book of Revelation. They begin with the local detail, what's going on in that church. Then there's an image of Christ. Then you have what he sees, the good and the bad. You'll notice in Smyrna, he doesn't see any bad. In Laodicea, in the next, uh, next week's sermon, he only sees bad. Then we have the call to repent and the promise to the one who conquers. Next week, you'll have a similar one for the last three, so that you'll have all seven churches laid out in a way that kind of makes sense to me, at least, so that we can see what's going on there. So we have these consistent letters in this consistent style. You may be asking yourself, Pastor Scott, or as you may say, Angel Scott, where is the churches? Well, here they are. This is where the seven churches are. You'll look down here. Patmos is right there. Then we have moving up and around, we have the seven churches. Why are there seven and not six? Every time you come across a number in the book of Revelation, ask yourself that question. Why are there seven? Why are there 144,000? Why are there two witnesses? Why are there? It's not accidental. Everything has a purpose. Seven? How many days did God take to make the earth? Seven. Seven days, right? Seven throughout scripture is the number of completeness. It's the number of wholeness. It's God number to say that's good. That's it. That's complete. Seven churches would mean then the complete church of God. Who is it for? Is it just for these seven churches? No, it's for us. But this is the way they order in the book of Revelation and they move in a circle. So the idea is Ephesus receives the letter. Then it goes to Smyrna. Smyrna reads the letter, they walk into Pergamum, Pergamum reads the letter, then goes to Thyatira, and they move this letter around. So that now all seven churches have it, and it's kind of in a circle. Seven, circular letter, all of these things, completeness, wholeness, but these letters are written to us as well. Yes, there are particular circumstances that they're written about, but they're also written to us, so that we the Church of God, Ascension Lutheran, can learn as we prepare for the vision. As we prepare for this vision. One last little thing that I just want to um, put into your brains as we get to dive into these letters. 
We have on the back side of your sheet this thing called the heresy of antinomianism. The word heresy means teachings of the church that are not biblical. Teachings of the church that are outside of orthodoxy. Antinomianism um, is a really fun one. Because this is what antinomists do. They say, God loves you so, so, so very much. He's going to forgive you for everything that you do. So therefore, go and do whatever you want, and God will forgive you. And you're thinking, huh, that's a great sermon, Scott. I can do whatever I want, and God just keeps forgiving me? Well, that's, that's the heresy of antinomianism. And what it is, is it's like imagine you have a spouse who you know, no matter what you do, will never leave you, will always love you, will always be there in your corner fighting for you. And what do you do with that spouse? You cheat on them, you lie to them, you steal from them, you uh, take advantage of them, because they're never going to leave you, and they're never going to forsake you. That's what the heresy of antinomianism is. It's looking at the grace of God and saying, because I'm forgiven, I'm going to do whatever I want. And on the other side of Christian living is the heresy of legalism. Unless you do these exact things in this exact order, God will not love you. Our responsibility as Christians is to say, I understand that I am totally forgiven because of the grace of God. And out of that forgiveness, I respond to you by trying to love you and trying to serve you, and trying to do the things that I can do to advance your kingdom. And when I make mistakes, you forgive me. The Nicolotians that you'll see in this letter, the heresy of antinomianism. Okay? So this antinomianism pops up a lot of times for us. where we And, and we're tempted to do it, right? I mean, if you're honest with yourself, we're tempted to do that. Well, it's just one time. It's just... And so the heresy of antinomianism comes. So we jump into the letter. And the letter to the church of Ephesus helps us to understand about what it is to see kind of all of the letters. It intros all of the letters. And the line I want to focus on today that will help us to understand all of these other letters because there's a call to repent is right in verse 5, where it says, Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And this word repent is where we need to pause. Because repent, the Greek word for repent, looks like this. Yes. You can't see, oh, yellow, orange is not seeable. That sounds like a very biblical idea. Well, be in the light. Is that better? Or what if I do this? I have another color. It's black, though, so it's not the Jesus' color. <laughs> color of Good Friday. Okay. Meta noeo. What we're saying here, two words come together. The first word right here is meta. The second word is noeo. Meta, very often, we see it other times, 
It is a, um, it's a word that connects other words with or after. So it's a word that says, you know, after this happened, that happened. Or with them, they went to the store. Then noeo is to think about or to consider. What's interesting is there's a lot of words that put meta in front of another verb. And when you put meta in front of another verb, it has this idea of moving from one thing to another. So moving from here to there. So what is happening in repentance then? We translate this as repent. I want you to think about this in a way. Repentance is reconsidering, rethinking about something. Imagine you're on a journey, and your journey is taking you this way. And you realize at some point on your journey, you are going the wrong direction. Repentance is recognizing this is not the right direction I need to be heading in. I need to repent and reconsider where I'm headed and go in a different direction. That's what repentance is. Repentance is the mind action of reconsidering. That's important. Because as we reconsider, then that can lead us to a new kind of action. And imagine this journey again. Here's the dangerous part about Scott and any human being. The human mind can justify anything the human heart desires. Someone told me that one time. And it continues to ring in my ears. I'll say it one more time. The human mind can justify anything the human heart desires. So you're going down this path, and let's pretend you're an antinomiast. Well, yeah, God does love me. That's right, he does love you. Then you should go out and do that. He wants you to be happy, doesn't he? He does want me to be happy. I'm going to continue to do this thing that, you know, lie, cheat, and steal. Okay, well, now that you've done that, he's forgiven you. Remember, you're forgiven. You can do this, he'll forgive you again. Ah, he will. And it only benefits me to lie in a situation. And all of a sudden, we're down. What's repentance? Repentance very often comes from other people saying, you're going to destroy yourself. And you go, huh, I need to reconsider this path I'm on and turn and do something different. And notice the three things that are in this verse. Remember what you have fallen. Repent and do the work you did at first. Jesus says, you've forgotten your first love. For those of us in this room who have had our first love or remember the beginning of our relationships with our spouses, how much fun, right? You can't buy enough flowers. You can't buy enough chocolate. You can't talk on the phone long enough. You can't do any of those things long enough. Remember your first love. And what's Jesus saying? Reconsider where you are in your journey and return to those things you've done before. So, we're not talking about our boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife, but we're talking about Jesus. So the question then that sits in front of us as Ascension Lutheran Church, what did it look like for you when you first understood 
that Jesus Christ did all the work necessary for you to be in a relationship with him. What did it look like for you when you recognized that Jesus Christ has loved you no matter where you go, no matter what you do? What did it look like for you when you understood the power of the resurrection? How did that feel? What did you do? How did you act? This is where he wants you to get. Reconsider what's brought you to this moment in your life and say, God, I have done some things wrong. And I need to remember what it was to appreciate your grace so much that everything I did was an honor and worship to you. See, this is how he's preparing us for the vision. He needs us to repent and to remember where we've been and to remember where we're going. And here's the great good news, guys. These are his seven churches. He has not let them go. He's reminding them so they'll come back to him. But he's not forgotten who they are. He is still their God. He's not forsaken them. He's not left them alone. God will go as far down any path as he needs to go to get you. Because that's what he wants. And so, these are his churches. He's telling this to his beloved. Guys, repent. Do something different. And everybody in this room, we have a reason that we need to repent. And guys, our church... Ascension Lutheran has to repent. I don't know of what. But there's something that we need to say, you know, we've gone too far down this road. We've allowed for blank. Or we have forgotten to do this. And God then, in that process, something new is born. And something new happens. You see, these seven letters are there to prepare the churches to hear the vision. Because Revelation 4 kicks off our vision. And all of a sudden we're in the throne room. But until then, he's saying, Church of God, repent. Come back to me. And I've got you. I'm not going to remove your lampstand. I want to be with you. I want to be for you. And that God that we saw in Revelation 1 with the burnished bronze feet and the eyes, he's in your corner. And he's saying, come on, reconsider and do those things you did at first and let's do this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this room. I thank you for these people. I thank you for the ways that you have worked and the times that you have given us. Lord, teach us what we need to repent of. Lord, help us to recognize that there are ways and things in our life that we need to submit to you. Lord, we will not be aware of those things unless you reveal them to us. So Lord, show us what each individual needs to repent of in this church. Lord, also show us the ways that we as a congregation need to repent. How can we rethink about things and do things differently? Reveal yourself to us so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to know what it is to call you Savior and Lord. In your holy name we pray.
Amen.